Network Radio. This week's show is a journey into consciousness, working through the wonderful trance mediumship of Mick and Sylvie Avery, with wisdom brought through by spirit guide Gregory Hay. To find out more about their work, you can visit www.spirit-teaching.com. Hello, Gregory. Hello, friend. Hello. With love and light, friend. I am very well, thank you. Never been better. <laughs> love and light. All my cells are, are bristling, fair Ooh, bristling. Lovely. <laughs> well, welcome to another Journeys into Consciousness, Gregory. Um, you so. Just let people know, actually, that when we do these shows, it's actually using the technology of the internet. So I think some people get the impression we're in the same room together, talking away. Um, in actual fact, we're kind of talking over the internet, using little packets, little bits and bytes through a headset bringing through the information little packets it's amazing really yeah and the quality is really good and um, it's good that people think that we are actually located uh, in in the same room together well my dear friend I suppose you could say one could say that uh, I am very much in your space we're all one anyway yes I am one and a half (laughs) okay well um, tonight's show there's um, I'm going to throw some questions at you around the the topic of global warming actually because yes. um there's been a few it's been it's been a hot topic really this week across yes. the internet yes um and in the news as well quite so for good reason for good reasons there's i don't know if you know about the the hack that happened or the whistleblower um somebody released some information um well basically to put it into a nutshell there's a unit called the British the Britain's Climate Research Unit at the University of East Anglia. Yes. And um, d- during last week, a hacker or whistleblower hacked in and stole what we would term as a 61 megabyte file of confidential data. And that data was posted up onto a Russian website, I believe. Now, the, the content of this, um, this document contained, if true, damning evidence that certain scientists or governing bodies have been manipulating or exploiting um, climate change data in some way or exploiting it to make it worse than it actually is according to this um, leaked document what they're suggesting is that according to the data it seemed that the global warming was coming down and they were perplexed by this and didn't like the idea that the data was showing it was coming down and so they've been manipulating it to, to, to show it continually going up. Um, but obviously one thing we can't hide is the fact that we are getting floods. I mean, what happened in, in Cumbria, um, according to news reports, is one in a thousand years, biblical proportion floods. Um, we've been having an ever-increase of um, catastrophic floods in the UK from Boss Castle to North Yorkshire, South Yorkshire, Sheffield, Derbyshire. Uh, a place called Morfet. I've got a climate map that shows um, agricultural output in 2006 and the globe there looks pretty healthy with green colours pretty much in all the places that output um, food and the same map in 2009 shows red in an alarming number of places where they've got drought, extreme drought or historic drought. So there's obviously a number of confusing messages that are going across the internet there's a whole community now of skeptics that are very happy 
um, almost um, quite smug in a way that perhaps climate change is a big farce. But then what is happening around the planet at the moment with Cumbria and, and the droughts? Yes. So, well, very well, my dear friend. The point and issue to begin with is to say that scientifically, for the planet itself, there are going to be pits and troughs. There are going to be situations, cyclical, other cyclical events, which happen en masse at around about 10 to 12 year cycles, which will uh, then mean that uh, there will be various dips in temperature as well as rises in temperature. However, the, uh, and, and what will j just basically happen is that you will then have certain years within that 10 or 12 year cycle, whereby uh, the temperature generally suddenly sways from one thing to another, usually at the, toward the end of the 10 or 12 year cycle, uh, before it then begins anew. And it will it sway either to being much colder or much warmer. The situation, however, is that the general trend on mass for the whole situation has become that it's still very erratic. And in the main, the whole climate situation and probability is not just focused on uh, layman's predictions or whatever, or the predictions of a certain set of people. There are most certainly uh, people, climatologists, who actually are focused very much on the disproving of there being climate problems upon the earth, actually because they have vested interests, because they're in the pay of uh, companies who want to continue the program of uh, using fossil fuels or whatever. So obviously what you have to look at when looking and observing any data on your side of life is that it depends entirely upon what the funding, where the funding comes from for the particular group who creates the data in the first place. And also where their data comes from it may also be specifically enhanced because that was where they thought they were going to have to take measurements from. And in actual fact, the whole situation, the picture has shifted and changed in exactly the same way as you would have the change in, let's see, now the, the situation which is often unpredictable or very difficult to predict has been in the past the jet stream uh, uh, within the uh, outer atmosphere which actually tends to normally cover a certain specific route. It covers a, a certain kind of waveform that it delivers throughout and right across the planet. The point is, the problem comes when there are different situations of uh, uh, change caused by great climatic shifts, which are driven in, en masse usually by the ocean currents and the ocean's temperature, mean temperature and other situations surrounding that. So oftentimes data 
comes in within specific bodies that are not necessarily uh, bringing about in, and in being inclusive of all of the different paradigms which are figuring very heavily in, in the data transmission. So you may well have situations from one university or another who may uh, profess a certain specific guidance within climatic uh, uh, graphs and that kind of thing to show uh, certain kinds of conditions illuminating, but that in actual fact what's happening is that they may not actually be taking in all of the global measurements all at the same time. And that part of it is really, in a sense, uh, addressing certain balances, particularly, of course, to the the little group of islands upon which you live at present, friend, purely and simply because it's uh, oftentimes very, in its erratic nature, the simple fact of its placement where it is creates the anomalies of very fatigued weather patterns which is exactly what happened in the state of Cumbria and the recent flooding thereon, uh, purely and simply because you had a squall which was then, in fact, uh, isolated and brought to a standstill by the very fact that of your the nature of islands and the various different impactions from both the oceanic uh, situation and also the, uh, the upper strata atmospheric conditions to do with uh, these uh, various anomalies. These various situations then created the distilled pattern of, uh, uh, in, in a sense, uh, creating the, uh, the great negative trough and causing it to halt and, and really be very stilled in that particular place. I have to say also that uh, uh, in a bearing upon all of these climatic shifts at this present time, of course, are also uh, matched with the various conditions that China have been uh, creating, the various anomalies that they've been creating within their weather patterns, purely and simply because they've been changing them. And these are also having marked effects upon other parts of the planet. And they've been changing them using chemical uh, dilations, which then either create clouds, clouds and rainfall or disperses them completely. And of course, this was uh, has been carried out en masse for some time, for some years. And so this also is having a marked effect upon the whole climate of not just the region, but also uh, affecting other situations as well. Being that China is actually on a similar part of it, is on a similar uh, uh, bandwidth of, uh, the, of the planet itself, to uh, both uh, your country and various parts of Europe too. So it means to say that similar band shifts then, uh, in a sense, become occupied there too. Uh, it's not simply that these chemicals will just uh, merely disperse in the atmosphere, but are often uh, uh, creating their own problems as well within the upper currents of the stratosphere. Okay, yeah, I've, I've read about China doing that, and I guess it's like what you, we term as the butterfly effect. You really can't change one thing in one location and not expect it to have a knock-on effect somewhere else. Yes, absolutely so, my dear friend, and it's exactly the same as if you were uh, uh, dealing with a 
a swarm of bees, for example, a swarm of honeybees. You cannot tell them where they must or must not go in order to collect their nectar. In fact, they will judiciously uh, try to swarm over even ge genetically modified uh, crops as well as ordinary or uh, organic crops. This then, of course, brings into question the whole situation of uh, how that then, in due course, affects the bees' metabolism themselves, being that they actually subsist on it. I wonder if any genetically modified uh, engineers and scientists actually are able to tell you precisely what effect their modification genetically would then have upon the bees which feed upon the pollen of the plants they create. Actually, that's quite interesting you say that because there is um, a, a colony collapse thing going on with the bees. Yes, I know. And, um, you know, there's different it's theories on that, isn't there? I mean, yes, what's, what's your theory? It's actually caused by two different things, unfortunately, my dear friend. There is a mite and also fungus. Uh, there's a red mite which is uh, creating uh, a, an imbalance within the bees themselves and a fungus which is actually then uh, uh, because of their imbalance, their, uh, in a sense, it's like their immune system is then caught, uh, uh, made into uh, a, a difficult state. It then is simply that the fungus then is, is allowed to grow and, and then destroys the, the rest of the bees' immune system and they simply die out. Going back to the, yes, the climate research unit thing, so you mentioned that on one hand you have a group of people who've got a vested interest, obviously with the oil companies or anybody like that, they, they obviously don't want to recognise climate change because they want to continue earning money from oil. Yes. So, but on on the opposite end of the scale here, these guys seem to be promoting uh, climate change. So, are they exploiting it from a tax purpose? I mean, yes, there's that you, too. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, like, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, the problem with human endeavour, my dear friend, is that there are always going to be vested interests. There are all, always, uh, in a sense, that jobs at one university or other will be in the name of or funded by specific companies, which then have a vested interest in the universities, purely and simply, perhaps because they want to take a certain number of students from that university in order to then enrich their own company. It's It's something which has... I understand, gone on for hundreds of years in this case and state of education. I think it is, uh, in a sense, the morass of human uh, understanding that then appears to be that even education comes at a price, and it's usually at the, behest, at the price of the behest of one company or another. And that is a great uh, sorry tale for humanity, I feel. Um, just coming back to the food stuff as well, because yes. this I found this map and um, I was, it blew my mind really to look at it. Um, yeah. It basically shows the world with the agriculture output in 2006, and then based on what it looks like now in 2009. Um, I mean, basically, just to run through this list of what it's saying, it's kind of saying Florida has been hard hit by a winter drought, damaging yes. crops, and a half 
and half of the state is in some level of drought. Argentina, the worst drought in half a century, has turned Argentina's once fertile soil to dust and pushed the country into a state of emergency. Kenya is the worst hit nation in the region, having been without rainfall for 18 months. Uganda, severe drought in northeastern Uganda's Karamoja region has left the country on the brink of a humanitarian catastrophe. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, I don't obviously put uh, fear into people's hearts here or anything like that. I'm just, obviously, as we're on this kind of subject, um, I found this today on the internet on a, a mark, an oracle site to do with um, the, the, the stock markets. And, um, and what this guy's, you know, he's just concerned really. He's, he's saying that this is the map for 2009. So what does that mean for food output in 2010? Yes, quite so. And I have to, of course, add to that as well. The drastic situations which have been occurring in Australia, uh, New South Wales in particular, but also uh, many of the other uh, uh, situations uh, which appear to be happening even locally. Uh, the problem appears to be exacerbated by uh, really restrictive practices in many respects. Uh, you could say that the conditions in some countries have lessened um, in places like uh, Canada, for example, which is normally the breadbasket of the world. It appears to be that uh, situations are fluctuating even there with even such a large country. And so you do have uh, very great problems which are uh, continuing to rise. Uh, the problem uh, continues to be exacerbated, uh, not least by the situations perhaps that this would mean that uh, maybe genetically modified products would become more agreeable if it were, uh, then that this also is then uh, uh, suited to human beings, that perhaps it would be more so that uh, more uh, forests are actually stripped away, uh, most certainly in, uh, uh, well, many isolated situations where, where rainforest is taken away purely and simply to enhance the use of a, a vegetable, uh, the, the methane, uh, no, not methane, the other, the situation from um, uh, vegetation uh, to do with ethanol. And that that is also then a, a, a situation or problem because many countries are actually producing more ethanol than food. And the problem then becomes, because it's obviously more profitable, however, there are many countries which actually service uh, a, a great deal of these ethanol situations and would rather do that than grow their own food because it's more profitable for that country to then repay perhaps the part of the bank balance that they need because they have been left uh, with a, a great deficit within their own economy. And that then becomes something, of course, which uh, many groups of tribal groups and peoples then suffer from that cause. Yeah, I've read some some articles where uh, countries that normally feed themselves and, and generate their own food um, are exhausting their own water tables to export to the likes of us, and you know their lands are now drying up. Yes, that is very true, my dear friend. This is part of the very great problem that we see and that we have uh, observed that has become more and more the uh, the rule rather than the uh, the rarity 
in many respects. So we can see that many peoples in this respect then are actually uh, finding great difficulty within this whole situation. After all, my dear friend, and I do have to point this out, uh, particularly with the situation around the eastern, northeastern coast of Africa, that all of this piracy actually has been created simply by the large companies that have overfished that area. And that is simply the reason why the fishermen of that country uh, had uh, taken to piracy in the first place, purely and simply because they had no more fish to catch, because they'd all been taken by other countries. So in a sense, it's like uh, human beings have to understand the magnetism with which if they create something of action, they have to understand what will be the effects of that action they create that is possibly mindless of the people who live there. Mm. Well, I understand what you're saying there, and I've researched that as well. But it seems that, you know, the majority of people on the planet are very caring people, and they I suppose they're unaware of what really goes on at the high levels. But it seems that the people that really run the show, you know, they, they control our food, they control our water, they control our education, our health, governments, military. And these guys do not have a conscience, do they? I understand exactly what you're saying, yes, purely and simply because all that they're thinking of is ownership, rights, and how that eventually that power and control can create the fortunes they desire. I understand, my dear friend, that even uh, the Bush family themselves own much of the rights of South America's water supply. Mm. But how do you deal with people that simply don't have a heart, who don't have a conscience? You know, it's almost like if you have a heart, you're exploited. But these people don't have anything. They are just devoid of any conscience. And um, they've got so much power, so much technology. Um, how do you really stop them? You know, the only way you, they could be stopped is if, I don't know, could, if, if, if there was something grand that was happening at the same time, you know, maybe, um, you know, is a, could a shift in consciousness help? Yes, I would, be, I would love to be able to say that, my dear Ben. But what we have said for many years now is that we see en masse that people have changed really very little, which is why we're trying to educate people, why we are trying to uh, uh, get bottoms off seats, in a sense, and get people to stand up for what they understand to be right, rather than just being little mice in the corner. The problem comes to the individual. This is going to affect everyone that is living in physical life and everyone who is to come from the spirit world, from the afterlife and before and from the pre-life, if you like. Mm. Uh, and all of those spirit who are yet to have a physical existence. This is going to affect every single being. And this means to say that en masse, all beings have to have an understanding of what's actually taking place and then take measures to actually stop those events. So, for example, if you have a, a situation where a country does not any longer 
have control or ownership of their own water right, then that is something that needs to be reversed. And it can be reversed simply by governmental, uh, uh, by the will of the people. And that's simply what would have to happen in those events. And that's something that uh, obviously um, you would have then a, uh, a combination of problems that would be unleashed purely and simply because many people who, who were in that position, who owned those rights or whatever, would then cry foul, I dare say. But my point is they shouldn't have been sold to them in the first place. And if that is the case, the understanding that you have, on the other hand, that everyone has a right to own anything they want to, then that is the planet that you have. That is the system you create. The problem with human beings is that they don't really see the full picture and that it's not just down to those in the spirit world. And yes, I have to say, of course, that it's obvious that many people will benefit by their own spirituality, by their own awareness that they grow within themselves. However, even with human beings in a physical life, you can only lead so many of them to water and you cannot teach any of them to drink. They have to learn to drink themselves. And sometimes for human beings, for humanity en masse, it has become that catastrophe has taught them to change their stance, to change their difference of how they see things. It's exactly the same way as you would have a tribe who is completely peace-filled and would never hurt a fly, suddenly beset by marauding hordes from some other tribe. Either they are going to stand up and, and uh, say no and try to fight those aggressors, or they're simply going to sit there and take it and be annihilated from the planet. And that is the way that within the instinctive process of the commonality of physical life that beings have behaved in one sense or another. However, in the, um, the normal habitable world of the natural environment, one would see that in the most part, most species survive because of nurture, because of their ability to understand harmonics that uh, all beings need to survive and need to continue within the chain of uh, whether that be harvesting or whatever it is in order for that being to perpetuate and for them to perpetuate their own food source. It's exactly the reason why uh, over many centuries certain groups of native peoples in North America uh, learned to understand the with dignity the whole process of life and also understand the whole nurturing process of many different species, that if they depended upon them for food, they needed to nurture and make sure that those species survived. Until, of course, northern Europeans with their insatiable appetite came and just took everything. I do get the impression though, and I don't want to sort of hand away responsibility here to other beings, but it seems that we are in a point of history where together, so if we take the initiative and and take the first steps and take responsibility yes that there are other groups here to assist us we're not alone not alone anymore it seems that we are at a pivotal point in history where it's like we are being watched um 
you know, we are going through a great time of change and it's probably the most perfect time in history right now to make the changes that we need to take to get us out of this situation. Yes, I completely and wholeheartedly agree with you, my dear Fendi. And the point is that people have to wake up and they need to wake up now. It's not tomorrow. It's this moment. And they need to wake up to understand that together they have a stronger voice. The more people that they bring into this voice, the stronger they will become. Okay. Right. I think we've exhausted that subject. (laughs) You still there? Yes, yes, I am still here. Right, okay. What can I talk about now? Right. Right, I have some questions. Yeah, people have been sending questions in, so let's just go through some questions. I'm sure these will lead us somewhere. Um, Obviously, we've got the Large Hadron Collider that went operational this week. There's been a lot of fear around that. I know. Um, People look at it. Obviously, they're they're trying to find the, the Higgs bosom, the God's particle. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is there a, is there a danger? Um, do they really know what they're doing? Do they know what they are <laughs> doing? How long is a piece of string? Well, of course, my dear friend, uh, there are many who will cite that this is a great mystery, but also perhaps a, a step too far for humankind. I can see quite clearly why Human beings would think that, the same human beings perhaps who would have professed the world be flat. And however, I uh, do not take anything away from these people, for they have every right in many respects to be cautious, particularly when faced with these kinds of disagreeable situations where you have people, professors of science, who actually are are simply fixated upon one issue only rather than understanding the mass of it. So does this, is this going to be effective? Is it going to be something which is, as you say, dangerous? It won't be dangerous. It won't create some kind of black hole universe within the, uh, within the earth itself because it's, I understand, buried in any event and that Uh, this simply won't pull the planet apart or anything else other than it merely being an experiment. It's a good job it isn't any larger, however, uh, because then it may well be that the whole situation of not just the the illuminate use of electricity and power to do with this particular experiment, but actually the amount of magnetism this has a bearing upon not only the usefulness of the experiment, but also in respect of people's health as well as the health of the environment round about. It's a good job that the, the, um, the collider was actually built in the way that it was in order to uh, try to harness these powers, but also keep them within safe optimum uh, situations within the rock uh, within which it had been built. Yeah, it's, an, it's an interesting thing because um, obviously it's been um, it's had a lot of issues since it opened, um, and it almost seems seems to be jinxed in some way. Um, so a lot of people have been concluding that maybe you know uh, the spirit, the the ETs or whatever, really don't want this, want this thing to work, and so are kind of stepping in to sabotage it in a mm. way. 
No, my dear friend, I would say more incompetence rather than uh, uh, any of those others you have just listed. There is no one in the spirit world who is dead against it. Uh, the point is that we are doing experiments all of the time in the spirit world too in order to try to understand more about how free energy would be made available to human state. And also, of course, to try to uh, bring about further evidence from our side of life to do with the very fact of our existence and the existence of many other facets of the universe. We just see this, in a sense, as another uh, part of that, because it will certainly put the cat among the many pigeons of uh, uh, scientific analysis that has been created thus far, purely and simply because the data has been misread in many respects to do not with physics specifically, but certainly to do with uh, the interdimensionality of the universe itself. Mm. It's, it's an interesting thing because, um, and I could be wrong here, but I get the impression at least that there are people, very powerful people, who are in the know, who can understand completely that there are multiple dimensions, and in fact there are other layers of reality, including the spirit world. Um, yes. And there's obviously scientists who know this too, but when you get to another level, then there's a whole bunch of people that are kind of excluded from that, that knowledge, and then they're kind of trying to find their way in the wilderness themselves to find out if it's true. So we end up spending a lot of money to find out about something that we actually already know is true. Yes, but the problem is, of course, that the scientific data that may be available is not necessarily something which is accepted by everyone. This is part of the problem, really, that you have uh, situations where uh, a certain state has to be inert, first of all, in order to prove something that it exists. And this is oftentimes the problem of how you create an inert atmosphere or, uh, or place or object environment which can then uh, dictate its usefulness, perhaps by the inclusion of some other dimension or some other activity. It's oftentimes been stated, for example, quite wrongly, uh, that these kinds of experiments, as though they are portrayed as um, kind of uh, novelty acts or whatever, uh, that the experiments of the spirit world would work nonetheless. Uh, really, really purely, I suppose I'm talking about here, to do with beings, energy, and physical solid objects. So that, for example, the spirit world's ability to use uh, the physical energy of human beings in order to create levitation, for example. Mm. And that mass uh, of energy that is enabled to be utilized in that you simply don't have the right instruments with which to measure it. Doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist. So could technology such as this have an impact on other dimensions or the spirit world? I mean, can we do harm to other realities that are not our own? Playing around with this stuff. Yes, yes, quite so. Well, not really. The... The universe is much more robust than you think it is. After all, it actually is able to contain many, uh, a myriad number of black holes and different other situation anomalies that exist 
and continue to grow within the universe of your own dimension as well as many others. So that means to say these different kinds of anomalies, even the massive uh, levels of attraction, the massive levels of gravity that are created through such anomalies, aren't even felt on your side of life. And yet there could be one that you and that your Earth is actually in the middle of. But yet simply because it happens in a different dimension, at a different speed, at a different frame rate, at a different however you wish to uh, analyze and, and share that data, it, it's simply to do with a vibration index of a different nature. And that's simply the reason why you don't feel it and why it is that there are so many beings on your side of life at this present time who are feeling vibrations from one situation to or another and are then interpreting them as being certain fine kinds of connectivity. That doesn't mean to say it makes them right, but it means that they are gaining something. The situation then is about trial and error, development of that organization, development of that communication skill or that mark of energy release and attraction that enables that experiment to become more fulfilled. You have to develop the experiment to a further degree rather than just simply accepting blindly, oh, I am channeling this energy and then accepting it purely blindly and not understanding necessarily where it's coming from, what the direction is, what's the reason, the nature, the shear force, the specific structure of why it was created in the first place. Yeah. All of these natures also have to be answered in a sense of physics. And to understand the physicality of what exists in one universe is not necessarily mirrored exactly in all others, but can be a myriad of them, a, a, a complexion. The, the complexion that you have on your side of life is completely different to anywhere else. So are you aware of any sort of consciousness technology that's been developed by, you know, perhaps self-serving people that could actually plant thoughts into people's heads? Oh, absolutely. So, yes, there are many, many different groups, my dear friend, uh, of extraterrestrial life who are using those safe same uh, technologies in order to uh, bring about these kinds of contactees. And they'll be extremely loving and giving and all the rest of it. What about governments and, you know, sort of, um, you know, humans? Well, what I'm saying is as, as, as humans, um, sorry, have humans developed this kind of technology? Have humans got this kind of technology? Well, um, I, I have to say, my dear friend, there are possibilities within this, within some human beings who actually move away from the realization, because oftentimes it creates uh, some form of anomaly that you call ego, uh, that, however, that use the ability of their own inbuilt technology, which is the union of their physical state and their spirit, that actually creates a different anomaly, if you like, that simply doesn't rear its head within other beings, within other people's nature. And what tends to happen then is that they're able to, for example, uh, create telep telepathic pathways to other beings. They're also able to create uh, different other um, uh, abilities of not just telepathy to do with communication, but also to do with energy. 
And these are also then uh, situations, sequences of events, which can obviously create great wellness for the planet, for other peoples, as well as for themselves. Okay. Right, okay. Here's a question. Um, right, I would like to suggest some questions to Gregory. That's um, this is from one of our listeners. Um, is it important to pay attention to numerology, life path numbers, um, and, you know, sacred geometry? That depends upon what inference you yourself place upon them, friend. It is entirely your choice. Does it make a difference to the universe if you don't? No. Will it make a difference to your situation, decision-making, or judgment if you put every store, every acorn of your life being in that process of gauging numbers to do with every single thing in your life? I would say, my dear friend, you would probably become a bit boring if you did. In straight, my dear friend, the way that people, human beings, use numbers is not necessarily something that's indicative of well-being. And yet for others, there are great reasons for using the, the idea of number in order to transform and understand other parts of universal thinking as well as understanding themselves. So numbers, yes, they do play a great part in many people's lives for many different faceted reasons. The reasons that I would say why people have more store within numbers, particularly to do with years or dates or, or that kind of thing, is inherently bizarre to me. Purely and simply because people appear to be fixated by time-orientated situations delivered as opposed to being the thing that's driven by the universe, when in actual fact, time is only driven by you as human beings who live in physical state. So I'm not discounting numbers or the use of numbers themselves as an artifact and as a placebo sometimes for you to gain uh, extra or ultra energy or ultra information that would then help you within your pathway. What I am saying, however, is that sometimes when people, human beings, fixate upon certain specific numbers because it's supposed to be some date in the calendar or whatever, then it actually goes uh, totally counterpoint to uh, natural thinking and also to how you can then make changes in your pathway now. The, if you are thinking, for example, that you are going to wait till 2012 before you do anything, you'll have lost, you'll have passed the whole point onward into your journey. Yeah, I think the, the question is more around sort of divination, isn't it? Oh, uh, yes, <coughs> but I'm know, really yeah. making the point that if you talk about numbers for one thing, are you then going to apply them to everything, you see? Yeah, there does seem to be some kind of intuition around different forms of divination. Um, yes. And how much of that is the person's own intuitive abilities overlaid onto that method? That or, is true. Or does that method, do they complement each other? That's what I'm saying. Do you need to have both or can you rely purely on, say, numerology without applying any intuition to it? Yes, it's an interesting point. The problem, though, however, my dear friend, tends to be that within all of the information surrounding numerology, you also have a, a facet of tactile acceptance of behalf of 
on the part of the human entity who's creating that as a part of their pathway simply because they're using their own intellect and intelligence to decipher and choose one answer over another. Whereas in actual fact, if you were being pedantic and purely acceptant of numerology in its status, you would not read one book of it. Purely and simply because every single piece of work that's ever been written on the art of numerology is saying something that's opposite someone else's book on the art of numerology. Therefore, you have many different mindsets as to what a particular path is. And what I'm saying is that in many respects, you are then forcing human mind and human action and activity of mind into one conclusion. And you're all battling, those who are numerologists, battling with what is the acceptance. What is the acceptance of 444? If it doesn't mean this, what else does it mean? Yeah, so, so really it's intuition for yourself, isn't it? I guess. It's, I guess it's, it's, it's similar to the way that, you know, you could buy a dream book. And, you know, one person's um, idea of a dream book would be if you see such and such, it means this. And someone else would say it means something different. When yeah. in actual fact, you really need to interpret your own dreams because that symbol would be personal to you. That's so right. Absolutely true, my dear friend Ian. And by the same stroke, I am saying that when you are referring to something as a human being, you are doing it from the process of one-on-one. -on -one. You are doing it from the process of proximity because you are having a life physical existence. When you then do a measurement of something which uses the process of one-on-one, -on -one, you are looking at the divisions of it, of one-on-one, -on -one, what it means to you as a figure, as an expression of itself. When you then look out into the universe and you try to bring about the process of one-on-one -on -one to this, you use the me a different measurement. Yet it is only pertaining to the physical human race. It doesn't pertain to the rest of the universe, contrary to popular belief. That's part of the problem, really, where you have different interpolations between ent entities from other races or from other situations which are then acquiescing to the same measurements as devised by humanity which is completely uh, complicit in the ideology of humanity rather than actually in the integral makeup uh, of the structure of the universe simply put my dear friend uh, uh, the whole process of um, there being a uh, some kind of measurement that then expresses a, a, a time of light traveling from one place to another place as being a light year is only the extent of measurement as is defined by humanity. It's not the extent of measurement as defined by the universe on the whole. So in that respect, if you are looking at the numerology or sacred geometry of number and of the relationship to it within itself, you are, are having to be very careful that you do not assimilate it with everything that exists within the physical state of life. Because otherwise, if you only did that, you were creating an anomaly in itself and therefore your fixated programs governed by that would simply be untrue. 
Okay, thank you, thank you, Gregory. Um, just another question, and I, I think I might know the answer to this, um, and that is, how many dimensions are there? Well, I, I believe there's infinite. What do you think? It is not fixed, friend. They are continually evolving. The universe, the multiverse, is continually evolving. Mm. And that mean to say then that the creation of all life is still evolving? Well, yes. In many respects, you could say that what started off as being one never started off as being one, but was always in a multitude facet of a, just a countless number. And you just seem to happen to be in the middle of some kind of other situation, which is just a mere speck, a, a, a less than a speck of sand upon yeah. that universe. So we've you know, obviously got a dimension, and I think the context of this question, um, which is, is how many planes of existence within a dimension. So, you know, like there's a common term that yes. there's seven levels um, in the spirit world, or do, do you know what I mean? So, Well, I know, I know what the, the, the human fixation is of that. I do not agree with it. Because there are not levels as so as though it were some large building with many floors in it. Yeah, so it's a gradual situation, an exchange of vibration. I mean, it's, I mean for me personally, I to think that there is just a limit, a finite number of dimensions, I find it quite scary because that would mean we're in a box. And yes, but then you think well, that then there's got to be something outside the box. And then, so if it's saying outside the box, so who owns the outside of the box? Yes. Which hurts my brain to think about. So yes. it has to be infinite, doesn't it? In a yes, sense. Yes, of course. That's right. Absolutely so. So there are not seven. No. Uh, forget the number. The number is something that human beings are fixated and caught by. And, oh, well, it's the seven rays of this or the seven something else. Or uh, there have to be three, three beings that are a part of the, um, uh, the whole situation, symbolism surrounding one faith or another faith. I am suggesting here in terms of this that they are, in a sense, fixations for human beings to follow to help them to feel safe, to help them feel that they are at some point or other, rather than understanding that simply by letting go of all of that drama, they are actually coming into the perfect oneness of themselves. And that's all they need. Okay. Well, moving on to the last question before we close. Yes. Um, I, I guess in a way this does lead on anyway. This is from another listener. Um, basically, he says, if you or I wanted to locate someone on Earth, say an old friend, we would locate them by a house number, a street name, town, country, etc. And in conversation, we would say that we have found our friend. And he is at 90T West Street, Dartford, Kent, England, for instance. Yes, now, yes. if Gregory wanted to, wanted to find an old friend, he would just think of them. And hey, presto, he would be there. But if he was talking to another friend... Um, about finding his old friend, what would the conversation be like? Would he say, I have found Fred and he is living on the seventh dimension in the Summerlands in a town called Utopia within a, within a soul group called Getting Jiggy With It? <laughs> I guess what he's trying to say is, are there locations within the spirit world, towns, cities, streets, and what dimension frequency levels would they be? 
So it kind of you answered, you've already answered it in a sense, but if you could just elaborate yeah. on that question. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. So to begin with, my dear friend, it's not just because of the fact that you come from one specific soul group or another, that means that you'll always be there. It's not home in respect of that's where your door is. So that throughout your journey of the universe of infinity, you will be possibly in many other places. And depending upon your vibration and your skill and the love within a self and your ability to create service for others as well as for uh, many different multi-dimensional facets of self, it will become that you are not actually fixated in one place, but maybe in many places. That doesn't mean to say like having many different lives at the same time, but I'm saying that in a sense of being able to respond to other beings, possibly at the same time, or at different facets of oneself, perhaps because you're being called upon or your nature is being called upon for help in some direction or other. Coming to the point of where a person lives or is in existence, if you are talking about a friend who has passed, you are talking about the relationship of self-love, creating emotion, creating, evoking various kinds of higher house harmony, which then attract, create uh, attraction waves, if you'd like, towards that friend's direction. So that person, that being in the spirit world, does not have to be located in a specific time when or in a specific uh, situation, even though it may well be that, for example, it might be more difficult for you to make contact with an ancestor that you never met than it would be perhaps to contact mother or brother, sister, aunt or cousin. This is only purely and simply on the basis of personal relationship endeavor that you have created love gifts between you or that simple energy of relationship and genetics has aligned that energy between you. Now, if, for example, uh, it was that that relationship was somehow marred because that person now in the spirit world had created abuse upon someone else or had done something intensively negative, doesn't mean to say that they would be more difficult to make contact with. It could be that you wanted to send a loving vibration to them because you wanted to help them on their journey or make them feel better about themselves. Perhaps you have a, a level of understanding about their predicament or where they had been in their physical life and wanted to give them forgiveness as some quell of your journey. Isn't that a beautiful experience to give to someone else and you don't have to have their address to do it? But just to understand that obviously within the makeup, the matrix of their own life, they created errors that then created uh, other anomalies in other people's lives. Similarly, my dear friend, you may want to connect with certain person who lived in a certain place or that you would wish to fixate upon them being in a certain place in the spirit world. It may well be that, for example, if you wanted to connect to someone of, from a different time when, that they, they may simply not be contactable. Oftentimes, because people, for example, from different centuries of time 
can actually simply not want to have anything to do with people from future times or people from for from other beings from any other part of the time period of the physical earth when so that simply will mean that they will not be contactable it's just that some beings remain in that kind of situation doesn't mean to say they're lesser just means to say they're happy where they are thank you very much okay well thank you very much for answering that question (laughs) yes okay all right well obviously we'll round it up there because we're kind of on the hour now so um just thank you for those people that wrote in and um you know we will try and answer any other questions we missed off this time in another show so um with that you know we'll just end the show there Gregory and just thank you very much again for coming on and uh, we speak to you very soon thank you very much my dear friend with love and light and peace upon your journey God bless God bless thank you thank you sir God bless thank you if you would like to book your own personal reading with Gregory to find out about your own soul journey then please visit the graphic banner underneath the show or visit www.spirit-teaching.com